Before we get to episode three, we have an exciting announcement. Bobcast is now a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network committed to providing doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective to listeners like you. You can now subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed, where you'll get Bobcast as well as other member shows like the Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Distilling Theology, and Fast God Stuff, along with bonus content. So check out Society of Reformed Podcasters at reformedpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's Bovcast, Episode 3. Bovcast. 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 This is the Bovcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Welcome to episode three of the Bobcast. I'm Mark. I'm Caleb. And I'm Andrew. We're picking up in the middle of chapter one of the wonderful works of God on the middle of page three, talking about God as man's highest good. Got a little bit of the snail's pace, but (laughs) we'll get there. I think I just kind of wanted to start with a question. What do you think people would say life is all about? Like, what's most important I mean, I don't know. I think you could get some variation in answers. You could get, especially in a time like this, people might say, well, health or safety, family, their wealth, their careers. I mean, you could get a myriad of answers. I think that's just the thing. You can get a myriad of answers. Most of the times, if you were to ask someone, you know, what's the most important thing about life? I think they might say to be a good person and love others. You know, we've been speaking about man's highest good perspective, though, of the knowledge of God, the perspective of understanding our, our point of uh, as those who acknowledge the only satisfaction is God as our highest good. So here on latter half of page three, Bobbing says, well, you know, yeah, we, we've been saying, yeah, there, there's a bunch of things in this life that can't satisfy fully. Uh, sure, riches and treasures, you know, economy, whatever, that, that's not gonna, that's not gonna help us be satisfied. Well, I think most people will readily acknowledge that, but they might give certain answers like what we were just saying. Uh, it's important to be a good person or love everyone. Another thing they might say is that the, the most important things in this life are science Science, art, and culture. The things that we do and create, the legacies we leave behind, the work we do in service of the true, the good, and the beautiful. But then you read what he says next, but these things too belong to the world of which the scriptures say that it and all its desirableness pass away. So even these things that we prize above all other things, science, art, culture, they don't have any value to us beyond this life. They don't have any value at all beyond the length of this world. And this world, though some might not want to admit it, is a limited and finite thing. It has a beginning and it will have an end. Well, well, I mean, even there in that next paragraph, like these are all ways that we can know this this wonderful world that that God has created, and and through studying it, we we can know things about Him. Um, you know, we can get into Romans one uh, with all the general revelation stuff, but the fact of the matter is, those things are not where our salvation is found. Sure. 
all thing, all, all things have the propensity to become vain uh, in what we're storing up. There on that next page, uh, page four, Bobbing starts speaking about how there there is very much a distinction in wisdom. There's wisdom of the world, and there's rightly grounded wisdom, which is in scripture. You get it in this line here, but what the scriptures require is a knowledge which has the fear of God at its beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a crucial distinction to make because we have a lot of knowledge that doesn't have God as its beginning. We have a lot of knowledge in our day that is, in fact, hostile to God. But Bob Inc. calls that as he goes further on a worldly wisdom, which is foolishness with God, you know, drawing there from the first couple of chapters of First Corinthians. Right. And the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah. And then then he's just summing up that whole point with that. Any science, philosophy or knowledge which supposes that it can stand on its own pretensions and can leave God out of its assumptions becomes its own opposite and disillusions everyone who builds his expectations on it. So so again, like we were getting at before, like if if your hope, if everything that you place value upon is someplace outside of God. God, you will never find satisfaction there because it can't be ultimately satisfying. I want to highlight this point here. You know, Christianity is uh, is in no way opposed to, to intellect and reason. Christianity is in no way opposed to knowledge. He says uh, there towards the end of that first paragraph on page four, our, our scripture isn't a book that puts a low estimate on knowledge and nor can it despise philosophy. The difference is just that it is rightly grounded wisdom. If scripture is feeding wisdom and knowledge like water, then our knowledge and wisdom is going to flourish. It's not just mere knowledge of God or acknowledgement of God. It is a fear of God. It is a recognition of God's lordship. It is a recognition, not just that there is a God, but that the scriptures are the revelation of God. I'll say, and it's Christ. That very wisdom is Christ himself, God uh, revealed. For in Christ, all the riches and treasure of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He possesses it. Well, and I think it gets interesting when we try to juxtapose the two against each other, because how many teachers, how many ideas of our day are trying to say something about Christ and yet not even grounded in the fear of God? Mm-hmm. Because if you ask anybody on the street what they think about Jesus, they're going to have some sort of take on it. They're going to have some sort of opinion. Well, he was a good person. He was an upright moral teacher, showed us how to live, etc., cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't have the fear of God as its beginning because it doesn't speak of Christ the way that he has spoken of himself or the way that the scriptures speak of him. And, and we and we then acknowledge in that that how all wisdom and true knowledge has its grounding in God. Whereas this third paragraph here, Bavik notes that science and philosophy itself on its own is interesting in that it can only become the portion of just a few. No one can fully possess the wealth of science and philosophy. Even in this information age, everyone's an instant scholar with a quick Google search. Yeah, at the end of that paragraph, whatever satisfaction knowledge can give, therefore, it can never, because of this special and limited character, satisfy the general deep needs which are planted in human nature at creation and which are therefore present in everybody. Like, this is a universal thing. This comes with us being created in God's image. If it's anything apart from God, it's not going to be ultimately 
absolutely satisfying. But at the same time, everything that's around us in creation is from God. It was created by God, is the context that God placed this in to work and keep. Ultimately, Adam failed that, so it's flawed. It's filled with sin, but our relationship to it does matter. Like, knowledge is a very good thing. As, as we stated earlier, it's given by God. But that can't be the be-all and end-all of what we're looking for. Otherwise, we're going to be miserable. Right. And Bob Inc. starts making some cases for that here in the next couple pages, right? He breaks uh, it down into three areas in which man is knowledgeable, in which man exercises the true, good, and beautiful. He designates uh, philosophy, art, and culture. Um, And he says that in each and every single one of these, man has access to them. Man can utilize them as true, good, and beautiful things in creation, but they are limited in their scope. Well, they're also limited in their ability to satisfy. Tying back to what we said before, we're created with this longing for eternity and nothing, even the most beautiful and most important things we can produce on this earth will suit that desire for eternity because they are not eternal. Right. Philosophy being a really a really good example of this. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy philosophy. I, I can't read it constantly or else I really do get like super depressed. And I think that kind of reflects something here. It's interesting. I think that like philosophy goes through like fads and phases. You know, a, a speaker comes up and he, he proposes the solutions to everything in this world, all the problems of this life. And, you know, uh, our, our existence of that, like that constant question, why do I exist? What is it to exist? And, you know, he comes up with a new answer. He dies. The idea gets thrown around for a couple hundred years. New thinker comes up. Same thing happens over and over. But none of these philosophies can be consistent. They, they don't endure all by themselves. It's worldly wisdom. Right, right. And he says that it's depressing right here at the bottom of page four. <laughs> what seems to be self-evident proves to be a new mystery. And the end of all knowledge is then again the sad and sometimes despairing <laughs> confession that man walks about on the earth in riddles and that life and destiny are mysteries. If you are going to wrap up your meaning, the, the, the meaning of who you are as a person in some philosophy, there's always going to come some other newer philosophy. There's always going to be something else. You're going to be perpetually seeking and and there's no rest in that. And like you said, it's tiresome, it's depressing, and it's sad as, as Bavink says here so clearly. Well, and even if your philosophy answers the questions that you set out to have it answer, he says the deeper you get into it, what seemed to be self-evident proves to be a new mystery. So even if you answer the questions you want to answer, it's only going to raise more questions and it's just going to be a constant striving to which you never reach the end. And then you run into a further problem where you're even if you are reaching some good ideas in philosophy in in the area of, of the study of truth, you have to also contend with the issue of what is good. You have to deal with ethics, uh, morality. On that next paragraph, the beginning of uh, the top of page five, uh, he says, well, you know, we have to remember philosophy and science also have to have virtue. Knowledge without virtue, without moral basis, becomes an instrument in the hands of sin for conceiving and executing greater evil. Truth in the hands of immorality, uh, of wickedness, enters into the service of a depraved heart. 
And I think there's plenty of examples throughout 20th century, say some great ideas, perhaps that may have popped up, but in practice, they didn't work out. Well, we've already hit on this in the previous episode when you're talking about World War One and World War Two. Like, Mm -hmm. look what scientific knowledge did. Look what all these scientific, you know, technological advancements did in the service of a depraved heart. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was chaos. It was madness. Yeah, just look at all of our technological advances and the good they promise and then what they deliver. Like, we have a very wealthy culture, but there's white-collar crime. We have the internet and unlimited information, but then we have internet pornography. Mm -hmm. And on and on it goes. And I think there's even, like, something of a a worldly self-awareness of this in the sense of, like, how many times have you watched a movie or read a book or whatever, and the villain is Dr. Something? (laughs) You know, somebody who's highly educated, somebody who has a great deal of knowledge, and yet has tipped over and decided to use his powers for evil and not good. Like sharks with little laser beams on their heads. (laughs) <laughs> well, also, I mean, it's it's like look at look at modernism and, and everything that kind of happened with the entrance of modernism in Christianity when you when you're looking mm-hmm. at the 17 and 1800s in in Germany. Who are the ones that are making these great leaps into heterodox theology? They're the mathematicians. They're the chemists. They're the I don't know that that you could say scientists yet. Um, but but these are guys that they want to pursue glory for man over glory for God and they want to know more and they want to bend nature to their will. We want to go there and, and say, you know, I mean, World War II once more, I mean, uh, social Darwinism was a factor in leading into that, you know, over half a century or more of social Darwinism flooding into their ideals and it leads into the Holocaust. This science gone awry, this good thing that God has given us and sinful man taking it and turning it for evil. But we're probably at a good stopping point now, given that we've talked about philosophy and science. So we'll go ahead and pause for now. And the next time we'll come back and talk about art and beauty. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Bobcast. We hope you learned a little something along the way. We hope you enjoyed yourself and we hope that you'll tune in with us next time. So this is us signing off, reminding you to eat smocklick and tote zines. Tote zines. Bedankt, Dewey. I don't even know what that is. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Bobcast. That's B-A-V-Cast. Or send us an email at Bobcast at gmail.com. Intro and outro music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.